few words on a piece of paper. A sudden moment of clarity. A life changed forever. Throughout the ages, people have been challenged, inspired, moved and transformed by the words of the world's divine educators. My name is Sean Hinton, and in this podcast, Moments of Meaning, I talk to people whose lives have been profoundly affected by the sacred writings of the Baha'i Faith, and ask them about the story of how it happened. Today's guest is Rocky Moncho. Born and raised in Botswana in southern Africa, he's now a technology and healthcare entrepreneur living in Oklahoma. This is the passage that Rocky's chosen for today. O oh God, refresh and gladden my spirit. Purify my heart. Illumine my powers. I lay all my affairs in thy hand. Thou art my guide and my refuge. I will no longer be sorrowful and grieved. I will be a happy and joyful being. O oh God, I will no longer be full of anxiety, nor will I let trouble harass me. I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life. O oh God, Thou art more friend to me than I am to myself. I dedicate myself to Thee, O oh Lord. So, Rocky, when did this prayer first make an impression on you? You know, I grew up in Botswana, and I had a... Uh, a set of grandparents that were very instrumental in my upbringing and in my life. And they were all really huge influences and spiritual giants in my upbringing to the point where we spent half the year really with uh, my grandparents and the other half with uh, my parents. And uh, this is the flavor of the life that I got to enjoy as a youngster, really from the cradle till I left when I was 19, 20 years old uh, to come for studies in the United States. My grandparents were literate. They were educators. James and Stella Moncho were amongst the first Baha'is to accept the Baha'i faith in Botswana. And my grandfather was a wise man and a very intense man in matters of culture, history, and spirituality. And this was his favorite prayer. I recall perhaps I was, oh, five, six years old. We were sitting in the uh, living room at the farm. Um, you know, there wasn't much, uh, there was no television, as a matter of fact, and uh, we had some shortwave radio, and by eight o'clock, you know, all uh, systems were down and we'd be sitting at the fire uh, listening to stories from all that had been passed down from generations to generation. You know, this is really yesterday in terms of time. But my grandfather and grandmother were great storytellers. Before we'd go to sleep, obviously, we'd say prayers. And um, this was my grandfather's favorite prayer. I wish you knew him. He was a very dark-skinned man, short, a very dignified disposition. And he'd say this prayer almost as if it was a conversation that he was having with God. And in between the prayer... Traditionally, you know, you say a prayer from beginning to end, but uh, he'd almost, there'll be times when he would interrupt the prayer almost, and he'd shake his head, and his forehead would uh, would cringe, and, and he'd be so intense, and, and he'd have his uh, little commentaries on 
the significance or the depth of how the prayer touched him. And I just remember one time uh, as he was reciting the prayer, at the very end, there's a part where he says, Oh God, thou art more friend to me than I am to myself. And he'd repeat this and, and, and he'd shake his head almost like, wow, what a powerful statement to be able to empty oneself such that there's a recognition of a power that is more friend to you than you are or can be to yourself. So I became you know, attached to this prayer from a very young age, and to this day it is still my favorite prayer. These are some of my earliest recollections of how it resonated with my heart and something that I've kept close to myself all these years. When you sat listening to your grandfather read it with all of that passion in his heart and all of that sort of intensity, how did you feel as a young child listening to that prayer being said and what did it make you think? I can recall very vividly that the recitation of that prayer gave me literally wings of imagination, of the possibilities of even things that were perhaps impossible, that indeed there was a strength in it that, that, that told me that nothing is impossible for me. Literally, that I'm endowed with uh, a protection and with a strength and a vitality that can conquer anything that I've put to myself. The caveat, or the only thing that I had to do, was toe the line of obedience to the ordinances of God, or to show I'm always in love with God, and not to stray too far from the path, so to speak. I recall that very vividly as being a centerpiece of how it made me feel, that I have a right to be happy. But it resonated with me as a child that, you know, I reject being unhappy. I will be happy. Rocky, would you read the prayer one more time? O oh God, refresh and gladden my spirit. Purify my heart. Illumine my powers. I lay all my affairs in thy hand. Thou art my guide and my refuge. I will no longer be sorrowful and grieved. I will be a happy and joyful being. O God, I will no longer be full of anxiety, nor will I let trouble harass me. I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life. O God, Thou art more friend to me than I am to myself. I dedicate myself to Thee, O Lord. And the prayer says, I will no longer be sorrowful and grieved. I will no longer be full of anxiety. So the prayer seems to acknowledge that we experience those things and that those things are real. Did you see that side of this prayer at any point in your life? Oh, absolutely. The prayer is not denying that there are issues and there are problems in the world. But I grew up in a very loving family, like I said. But my father, at the age of 26, I believe, just went on a path of self-destruction. And it was the, the times in which they lived. He drank and was an alcoholic, and he drank heavily. And I saw the toll that it had on our family, the six kids. I am the second of six children. I have an older brother that has deceased, passed away about uh, 15 years ago. And the pain of his uh, death still resonates, and it hurts. Uh, it's, it's human to feel that. And my father himself passed away shortly after my brother passed away. And they were both alcoholics. They literally drank themselves to death. I saw the toll it had, like I say, on my whole family, especially on my mother, but more so on my grandfather. 
as a child, my grandfather, uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny, but, you know, it's, it's true, brought out a little notepad and uh, we signed a contract, or I signed a contract with him. Uh, must have been nine years or ten years old. And, and I didn't even know what a contract was, but it sounded and, and, and felt official. But he pulled out a piece of paper and a pen, and we sat together at a desk. And like a lawyer and his client, we wrote very simple words. And the words were, I will not drink alcohol. And I don't know whatever happened with that piece of paper, but uh, the effects of uh, signing that stayed with me. Even today, I would have uh, functions with friends and, you know, wine and alcohol is a big part of the business culture or the entertainment culture, you name it. And uh, I don't drink alcohol as a choice, really motivated by the contract that my grandfather and I wrote. To him, uh, all forms of alcohol were brandy. You know, and he just despised brandy, and uh, and he saw how it tore families apart, and how it just weighed heavily on on society. And here we are, a newly independent country from 1966, and everybody's trying hard, and alcoholism is just drawing everybody back. And culturally, I think there was a an acceptance of alcohol as part of our culture and all that. But the abuse of alcohol within this new society that we were living in was prevalent, and my father was part of that. But my grandfather would sit and and weep. He is a man who had all the strength and, and grandeur of a man the whole society looked up to, that the whole nation looked up to. So he was this man who was, you know, a very dignified man. And there he was, crying in pain, uh, mournfully sitting there and just uh, lamenting the life that my dad had chosen, a life of alcoholism and alcoholism as a disease had taken him over. So yeah, you know, there was a lot of sorrow, there was a lot of grief. But in all of those, you know, I made a conscious effort not to dwell in that grief, but to find a happy place. And a happy place not in the sense of being an escapist, but in reality that life that I choose for myself is that of tranquility, of happiness, and aspiring for maintaining a happy disposition. So the passage on the one hand makes it clear that we are not in control, that it's a request for assistance. Purify my heart, illumine my powers. On the one hand, the passage sort of says, give up all agency. On the other hand, it's a lot about what I will do. I will no longer be sorrowful. I will be happy. How did that resonate with your life experience? One of the beautiful things about this prayer that really actually resonates with the core of my heart is that it gives us volition, free will. I am on this journey, and along this journey, I have these choices that I need to make so I can arrive at my destination, whatever the destination is. To make a conscious effort to say that I will not let trouble harass me, or I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life is to acknowledge that I've been given, I've been empowered to charter my own path. And if we anchor it on happiness or this pursuit for happiness, for this pursuit of maintaining a pure heart, it's laden with action. It's not something I do by sitting down. It's something I do by doing. 
It's an action prayer for me. Can you tell us about another time in your life when you said this prayer and it helped you? You know, when you become a parent, and I've been a parent for 20 years now, and I have three children. I have Julia, James, and Audrey. And they're beautiful children. But when you become a parent, priorities change. I remember when my wife was pregnant, I drove the speed limit all the time. (laughs) And when children are born, you all of a sudden become more of an exemplar. And with that comes the responsibility of you can't fail. And as such, there's some sort of anxiety that comes with that. I have the confidence, thanks to this prayer indeed, that there's a tomorrow, there's a, an after, that is better, that I can prosper under. So really, this prayer is not just for me. It's a prayer that's revealed for the rest of mankind and everybody in the world, whether you ascribe to being a Baha'i or not, it is a prayer that should resonate with every living human being because it speaks to life in its fullness to the journey of life, the purpose of life. That's what I believe. Thank you so much, Rocky, for sharing these stories with us on Moments of Meaning. The passage chosen by Rocky is a prayer revealed by Abdu'l-Bahá, the son and successor of the Prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'lláh. The role and power of prayer is a central theme in the Baha'i teachings, which explain that prayer is food for the soul. It deepens the love of God in our hearts and draws us closer to him. The Baha'i writings explain that prayer in its highest form is a pure expression of loving praise for God. Yet it's also natural that we ask God for assistance in prayer. When we do, we're told to have complete trust in God and be certain that he will provide what is best for us. Every person is free to commune with their Creator in whatever way they wish, and while many use their own words in these private moments, there are numerous prayers in the Baha'i writings that give expression to our deepest thoughts and feelings, much like the prayer chosen by Rocky. It's common practice for Baha'is in localities throughout the world to gather together with friends and neighbours to offer prayers, which may be read out loud, chanted, or set to uplifting music. These gatherings are open to all, and if people are interested in joining one, they can simply make contact with their local Baha'i community. For more about the Baha'i writings, head to baha'i.org. For the podcast notes for this episode, try baha'iteachings.org forward slash moments of meaning. Moments of Meaning is presented by Sean Hinton, sound engineering by Jamie Heath, researched by Nabil Habipur, and produced by Alex Liz and the team at Baha'iTeachings.org.